0: All right, we're back, and I am again with Alex, my awesome producer. Welcome. And
1: glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Oh, good. Well, um, we got some uh, talking about crime to do.
1: Oh, I got some great stories for you today. Are you ready? We can dive right in.
0: I am ready. Let's do it.
1: So these are just going to be smaller blurbs, but they're just fascinating. Weirdo crimes. Like, here's one in the 1920s. It was a German family, and their new maid brutally murdered on their farm. However, the family's patriarch, dad, I guess, in this Mm -hmm. equation, he had reported, I guess it could be, you know, Mm -hmm. in the twenties, it was probably a big nuclear family with five generations. Anyway, so the, the patriarch, whomever that was, had reported several strange incidents in the months before the murders. And this included footprints in the snow leading up to the farm and in the attic, despite there being nobody or no footprints leading away from the property. Keys went missing. A strange newspaper was found, and in fact, the family's former housekeeper had left the job in the months leading up to the murders because she thought the house was haunted. Oh, It's therefore been posited that the killer was actually hiding in the attic for a period of six months before the murders.
0: Now, wait, who got killed again?
1: So we'll go right back to the beginning of this story. Yeah. German family and their maid were brutally murdered. The whole their family.
2: Farm whole family
1: and they believe that the killer was hiding in the attic for six months and then finally just i guess he pulled the trigger
0: that's what they think yeah or maybe they found
1: him i have no idea
0: i don't think you could hide in an attic for six months someone's gonna hear you you up there i don't think how are you gonna do that
1: if you could come and go as you please and be able to get in and out without alerting anybody then maybe you could do it
0: Mm, i don't think so how are you gonna like eat stuff and go to the bathroom and everything
1: well, I don't know. Maybe he went out to, you know, just McDonald's in the 20s,
0: in the 20s, in Germany, pre yeah, like when had. the Nazis were
1: coming around. <laughs> right. All right. So let's move on to a different one. You remember Jeffrey Dahmer? Uh,
0: Yeah. Oh, well, uh, wait, what did he do, though?
1: He was serial killer.
0: OK. It, oh, he's so, the one in Chicago. They, and they found all the pieces of parts in his uh, freezer
1: something like that. He was convicted of 15 homicides. He admitted to cooking and eating some of his victims. Mm. In fact, he even gave the people in his apartment building sandwiches, which may have contained the flesh of some of his victims.
0: That is gross. Do you think he put ketchup on it or mustard mayo?
1: I think he was a green chili guy.
0: Not in Chicago. Impossible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, um,
0: I had never even heard of green chili until I moved to Colorado.
1: Yeah. So here are some interesting fun facts about Jeffrey Dahmer. Stuff that goes beyond what we probably already knew that he mm. was a serial killer. He was also known to drill holes in the heads of his victims while they're still alive before, and then injecting acid into their brains in an attempt to turn them into compliant zombies.
0: I don't think it worked.
1: Well, in fact, uh, one of the, one of the victims of his could have been spared except that Dahmer was so convincing with the police. He was able to reel him back in. So get this with a hole drilled in his head. This guy was able to escape from Dahmer's apartment one night. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to communicate with some bystanders out on the street. They call the cops. Dahmer convinces the police that they just have a lover's quarrel. And they allowed Dahmer to take the man back inside where he was later killed.
0: Oh, no. Well, this is
1: a guy with a hole drilled in his head and probably some acid. in
0: there. Well, that's the thing is like these guys, all all the um, criminals that I've talked with, they're so charming. I mean, they are just like charming.
1: Now, isn't that a mark of a serial killer is that you would never know what they were? Yeah, hmm. yeah, Something totally.
0: Like you, yeah, you so, never know. It's it's always the guy next door. You got to watch out for whoever's living next door.
1: Well, it's a good thing I live next door.
0: Well, it's a good thing you're a few houses <laughs> down. I'll tell you that. That is for sure.
1: So you remember now? This is recently in the news, uh, and I think it was in the last year or two. They actually found and uh, and were able to convict the Golden State Killer out in California. You familiar oh, with that story? No. Mm, older guy, and I want to make sure I've, I've got heard of this it. right. I, I may have this wrong, but I believe it was the Golden State Killer. It was the older guy, former police officer. Uh, excuse me. And he was doing these things all the way back from the 70s and deep into the 80s. But when they recently found him, he was so old and decrepit, he was in a wheelchair the whole time. Uh, and part of that was assumed to be an act, but nonetheless. So he was known to commit at least 13 murders, and this is between the mid-70s to the mid-80s. But get this. This is hmm. the freaky part. I'm ready. You're going to think about this tonight when you go to bed. No, I'm not. He was known for breaking into his victims' houses, undressing, and then standing at the entrance to their bedroom, tapping and scraping his long knife against the doorframe until they woke
0: That is a freak show. (laughs) You should not have told me that. I cannot unhear that.
1: (laughs) And that's a good one to leave on. We'll leave that one fresh in your brain. Uh, Who are we talking to today?
0: Oh, today. uh, Let's see. Mark McClish. Talk to Mark McClish. You know him?
1: McClish. I don't. But
0: it, it, he is a statement analysis expert, retired Secret Service. He is okay. amazing. So what he's done is spent uh, like his career in Secret Service and U.S. Marshals and uh, analyzing statements for deception. So he has all these studies that he's done himself on on fictitious statements in, in the commonalities and phrasing between them. So, uh, when, when you listen, you're going to know what words and phrases indicate deception. He's also going to, um, tell us about his time at the white house. He worked, uh, under Reagan, uh, in mm-hmm. the secret service, like right in the white house, he was uniformed. Secret Service, which I always thought was interesting because it's not secret if you're in a uniform. But, you know, no one asked me. Uh, and uh,
1: I, I was even aware they had a uniform.
0: I wasn't either. But, uh, you know, not all that secret anyway. And uh, he's going to tell us all about uh, the some of the more current cases from uh, Chris Watts to Caitlyn Jenner. I mean, it's an amazing Uh, interview. I I learned a ton. And actually, I'm going to take some classes from him. So I'm really excited.
1: Well, that sounds fascinating. Let's get into that. And his name is uh, Mark. Mark McClish. Mark McClish. Okay. And it's literally he's got it sounds like he's got a compendium of words and phrases that literally indicate that somebody's lying to you.
0: Yeah. And he's going to reveal a bunch of them.
1: Oh, that's going to be great. I'm going to take notes on this. one.
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's jump in mark thank you so much for joining me today i'm i am actually thrilled that that you're here it's quite an honor to have you
3: thank you for having me on your show tracy
0: now i heard about you i've, I've seen your stuff around a little bit but then i did a speech at uh um, crime con or their for their website and i think they uh they're the ones who said oh my gosh you have to have mark on your show i think i think mine was uh, crime hq they have a, a membership site so um they said people just went crazy over your knowledge and so i was like well that's it i'm gonna reach out and see what he's got going on because okay so here's what i know about you um you were in the secret service uh back in the reagan years and um what it said on your site was that you were in the uniformed division which makes me wonder how secret it really was
3: yeah, the Secret, Secret Service has uh, the agents, and then they also have the uniformed officers that are stationed at the White House, and they also protect the embassies in DC. And so I was at the White House for about two years, uh, traveled with the president not uh, all the time. He has his own uh, protected detail, but whenever he goes out of town, it always brings some uniformed guys, screen people uh, coming into the event, uh, making sure nobody had weapons on. Just like if you enter the White House, you're going to get screened. so got to go on a few trips with
0: them and see different sites. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> so, um, you were also, cause I'm sure you saw some stuff. So, um, you were also, um, with the U S marshals and got to do some more investigative work there. Um, and, in you're Your expertise I think that you're known for current day is in statement analysis, deceptive statement analysis, which I am fascinated by. I've had a a little bit of training in that uh, just through my um, uh, body language courses and uh, interrogation courses I've taken uh, right alongside um, a lot of FBI guys. So um, let's let's just jump in. How did you get into this whole line of work?
3: Well, I was with the Marshall service for uh, 24 years mm-hmm. and I spent nine of those years teaching uh, interviewing techniques at our training academy. And so during that time, I did some studies on deceptive language and developed the statement analysis techniques to detect deception in a verbal and a written statement. I mean, as I got into it, I just found it to be very, very fascinating that what you could learn if you just listen to how a person phrased their statement.
0: Well, uh- um... I would say that's true. And I would say probably your studies, um, the ones that you've done, probably the ones that you've read, say that statement analysis and language patterning is often more telling than body language for, for deception. What do you think about that?
3: It is often more telling. I mean, with body language, um, we pick up on deceptive indicators, but a nonverbal cue does not always equate to deception. There may be mm-hmm. another reason why that person performed that, that gesture. Uh, whereas with the statement else technique, uh, we're not interpreting, we're not inferring. People mean exactly what they say, and even you know there are several ways you can phrase a statement, and people will always phrase their statement based on all their knowledge. So sometimes they'll give us information they did not intend to share, and that's what I do is I teach people what to listen for in a statement to uh, pick up uh, additional knowledge.
0: Oh wow! Okay, so since we're there right now. Let's talk about um, some, of, some of your techniques that, that you use, stuff that people can pick up and use right away, whether they're um, maybe uh, in a sales situation, talking to a vendor, maybe they're interviewing someone, maybe, maybe they are doing a, uh, like, a, like a fraud investigation. Um, what's, what's the, base, the, the basis of, of what you have? And then let's get into some of your techniques.
3: Well, the first thing you want to do is you just want to listen to what people are saying. Uh, too often we have the tendency to interpret we think they're saying this but if you listen closely they're saying something you know slightly different uh you know when it comes to like commercials I recently saw a commercial and they advertised in a fan and they said possibly the quietest fan Uh Uh, I'd like for us to believe they have the quietest fan but they have to qualify by saying possibly it could be (laughs) the noisiest fan on the planet but they can honestly say you know possibly the quietest fan Uh
2: uh-huh
3: just like I saw another infomercial for astrology, call their number they'll tell what kind of day you're gonna have and they conclude their infomercial by saying see how accurate reading the stars can be. Now, I'm sure that entices a lot of people to call in, but you know recognize exactly what they're telling you see how accurate reading the stars can be not will be but can be I'm sure they uh-huh. get in their predictions every once in a while. And so you want to listen to exactly what a person is, is telling you when uh, Donald Trump was on the campaign trail running for president. He made the promise, I will never lie to you. So after a couple of months on the campaign trail, a reporter asked him, have you kept that promise? And the president responded, well, I try. I do try. <laughs> well, the word try means you attempted, but you failed to do it. Yeah, yeah. And what we want to hear is, yes, I've kept that promise. But you'll mm-hmm. hear that a lot with politicians. So they use the word try. I've tried. Uh, trying to convince us they did something, but in reality, the word tried means well, you, you haven't done it. Mm-hmm. And again, a good reporter would have realized exactly what he's saying and would have you know, challenged him on his language, ask him a few more questions. So it gets down to listening, just in general, listen to what a person is telling you. Now, I also give people some examples of uh, certain words and phrases you want to listen for that indicate uh, possible deception. Uh, one of the phrases is a phrase such as uh, I have no idea or I have no clue. I mean, very rarely can a person honestly say that. I mean, most people have an idea and opinion on just about everything. And when a person says, I have no idea, they're acting like they know absolutely nothing. And that's why it's just very hard to believe. I mean, every once in a while that may be a truthful statement, but most of the time it's not.
2: Mm -hmm. And we hear
3: that quite a bit. I mean, with Casey Anthony, you know, after she was arrested, all of her phone calls coming out of the cell block are recorded. In one of her conversations with her family, she told her family, I have no clue where Kaylee is.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Well, it's just hard to believe. I mean, our first clue is she's with the nanny. That's what she told the authorities. She's with the nanny. I realize she doesn't know where the nanny's at, but, but that's a clue. Mm-hmm. But she's acting like she knows absolutely nothing. Right. And so when you, when you hear that phrase, I have no clue, it's indication of deception. Now We saw the same thing with Chris Watts uh, mm-hmm. from Frederick, Colorado.
2: Oh yeah,
0: he's right over here. I did analysis <laughs> on him for the news. Well, yeah, so let's great. let's let's talk about that a little bit because I think at least for for someone not in law enforcement, that's a really really rare piece of video to get because it was 7 minutes unedited before the police showed up. And and Channel 7 went out there and um and uh, and, and did that. And I know what I saw and I heard. I want to know what you think of that.
3: Well, he, he appeared to be the grieving father, grieving husband. Like he says, they a very informal interview standing in his driveway.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But if you listen closely, it, it starts to leak out. And at one point he said, I, know, I have no idea uh, uh, where they went.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: prior to that, he said, I have no inclination, which is the same thing. And again, it's very really, like a person honestly, I have no idea. He must have an opinion. He doesn't mean uh-huh. he knows where they're at, but he's got to have an idea. So when people say things like that, that light bulb should turn on because again very rarely can a person honestly say that and of course it turned out he was he was being deceptive he was alive
0: oh yeah it, i mean it, it was <laughs> i'll tell you um i i, I remember that was really vividly um not only because it was so close here it's probably 20 miles from where I, I am here in boulder um but that morning i was driving to the airport to go to kansas city And, or or no, no, the morning before, sorry, the morning before. And I was thinking, man, I really need something for my newsletter. What, what could I put in my newsletter, I get to Kansas City, I didn't speak till 2pm that day, the next day. And I turned on the, uh, NB or the, uh, CBS news, like with Gail King. And here comes this thing and here it is. And I'm like, Oh, maybe I'll check that out a little bit more. And it wasn't two minutes after I said that, that my phone started ringing. It was the Denver uh, TV stations. And they said, Hey, can you, can you do some analysis on this? And I said, I don't know. Send me the video. Oh, also I'm not in Denver today. I'm in Kansas city. Can you hook me up with one of their, one of your affiliates? And, um, and so they did. I got dressed. I went down there and, and I did two of the Denver stations and I pulled into um, to my gig 10 minutes before I was supposed to be there, which is a big feat because Kansas City is huge. <laughs> and to try to get around that place <laughs> was was really something. So, yeah, that was a that was a big deal. Now, what else do you remember off of Chris Watts? since we're talking about anything else?
3: Um, yeah. Later on in the interview, he talked about the uh his oldest child, I think Bella was Mm -hmm. her name, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he referred to her in the past tense. He said that Bella was supposed to start kindergarten on Monday. Well, Uh it should be Bella is supposed to start kindergarten. That was, you know, I realize she's missing, but hopefully she's going to be found and she'll still go to kindergarten. But Mm -hmm. anytime somebody refers to some, a missing person in a past tense, it's indication they know something we don't know. They know that missing person is dead. We saw the same thing with Scott Peterson with his wife, Lacey, before her body was discovered on national television. he have heard her in the past tense. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a strong indication uh, that, again, they know something that we don't know.
0: Well, you know, you know what? Uh, one of my um, uh, people on uh, that have seen me speak and are on my newsletter, one of them emails me and they said, did you notice how he wasn't wearing his wedding ring? <laughs> I was like. Oh no, I didn't. <laughs> she, goes, she goes, he's wearing it. in all these other pictures that they show on, on the news, but not, uh, not that day. Oops. Just forgot that one. So, um, wow. Okay. So we got past tense. We got, I have no clue or no idea or possibly. And I try, what are some other big ones that, that you're listening for?
3: Another big one is the word never. Uh-huh. Uh You cannot use the word never in lieu of the word. No. Because the word never does not mean no. The word never means not ever. huh. So if a person was asked, uh, did you take the money out of the safe? And they say, I never took any money. Uh-huh. That would be an indication they're being deceptive. Because the best answer is to say no. Right. But by saying I never, again, the word never means not ever. They're talking about their entire lifetime.
2: Uh-huh.
3: And we're not, I'm not talking about your entire lifetime. I'm asking about this specific day or this specific safe. Did you take any money out of it? Uh-huh. And so that happens a lot with deceptive people. They'll use the word never in lieu of the word no. Uh-huh. Um, when FBI Director James Comey was testifying before Congress, uh, he was asked if he was an anonymous source in news reports about the uh, Trump investigation or the Clinton investigation. You know, has he ever been one? And he's, he answered never. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he, the very next question he was asked, if you authorized somebody else at, at the FBI to be an anonymous source? And he said uh-huh. no. So we can believe he didn't authorize somebody else, but we can't believe he wasn't an anonymous source because he can't he answer that question using the word never as a substitute for the word no.
0: So t- tell me this, how, let's, let's say you're, you're, you hear that, right? Do you, are you stopping the interview, stopping your list of questions, stopping the conversation and saying like, what are you doing to get, because it, it's one thing to know someone's lying. It's another thing to get them to admit So how how do you handle that? How are you walking that line?
3: Well, ideally, what you want to do is get a statement from somebody.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Tell me what happened. Tell me what you did. Tell me what you saw. And so as they give that statement, you're taking notes and writing down any deceptive indicators. Mm -hmm. You don't interrupt them. Don't challenge them yet. You just let them say whatever they want to say. Once they're done giving their statement, then we're going to go back and go through that statement and, and challenge them on their language. So if they use the word never and lose the word no, then I'm going to realize that and start asking more questions about that area of their statement. First, I'll ask a few more questions to see if they give me more information and more deceptive indicators, then eventually I may confront them on their language. And again, it all depends on what language we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But initially, you want to just keep taking notes, jot it down, and then once, once they're done giving a statement, then we're going to challenge
0: Wow. Okay. So what are some other phrases, some other words that you're listening for?
3: Well, the word just uh, is often used. And there are several ways you can use the word just. He is a just person, but most of the time when people use the word just, they're minimizing things. And what you're looking for is that they minimize uh, their action. You know, I just went to Walmart and came home. Well, I don't need the word just. You could just say I went to Walmart. And
0: came ah, home. got it. Got it
3: by using the word just to try to convince us that's all they did and it's a possibility that's all they did um and again we're looking for several indications of deception so if they use the word just one time i would ask questions about it to see if more was going on but i'd probably conclude they're being truthful but you know again people sometimes minimize their actions. um you know we saw with bruce jenner uh back in um 2013 when he uh he met a doctor to discuss how his Adam's apple shape. His Adam's uh, apple shape, and TMZ picked up on that. Asked him why he's having this procedure, and he said, "I just never liked my trachea." That's a truthful uh, statement, but he could have just said, "I don't like my trachea." But he used the word "just," which indicates he's minimizing why he's having that procedure. Maybe there's more going on. And of course, now we know he's transitioning from a man to a woman. Sure. Wasn't ready to tell the world that yet in 2013. But because he knows more is going, is going on, people phrase their statement based on all their knowledge to cause him to fundamentally use the word just and give us some additional information there.
0: hmm Well, so I was listening to, um, a podcast. I, I drove this last weekend from, uh, Kansas to, uh, back to Denver and, or sorry, Missouri, back to Denver, all the way through Kansas. So I was listening to, uh, a, uh, an NPR uh, podcast And there was a fella on there and I I was really excited. I was going to talk to you because I was like, Oh, I'm going to ask him about this. So, um, he was, uh, he would continually explain his military service to, um, uh, people he was, he was teaching and they would ask him, Hey, how long were you? And he'd say several years. Yeah. Several years. Right. And so I when when people generalize like words like several especially with military service they will tell you exactly how long they've been in like 21 right. and a half years right? i mean they they will tell you that when when you see people generalize like that uh, what does that tell you what are you thinking
3: well they're usually withholding some information mm-hmm. i mean in that example there more than likely i mean to most people several means maybe 3 or 4 right uh, but most likely, he, he didn't do a full career in the military. You know, like you said, 21 years or something like that. And so you know, he doesn't want to come out and say I only did two or three years in the military. So he used the word stubborn to make it sound like maybe it was you know, a lot more than that. And so when people generalize, again, they're withholding some information, not being very specific. And you know, we want to pick up on that. If it's important to us, we'll ask a few more questions about it.
0: Right. Well, and, and he said it twice, which was really interesting as, as
3: well. So yeah. do you
0: get anything off of that?
3: Well, anytime there's repetition, that, that light bulb again should turn on in our head, because why are they repeating this? A lot of times it's to try to convince us maybe what they're saying is true. Um, you know, Everything a person says has a meaning.
2: There's
0: mm-hmm. a reason
3: why they said it. There's a reason why they said it that way. Anytime we have some repetition, yeah, that red flag should go up.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. So um, anything else that we should be looking for here? Or
2: listening we pro- for?
3: <laughs> well, looking for in a written statement, listening for in a verbal statement. Not pronouns. We can learn a lot by looking at the pronouns of the statement.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Because pronouns give us responsibility. And sometimes people don't want to take responsibility. So instead of saying, you know, we sh- I should have done a better job, they may say, we should have done a better job, I'm trying to spread the blame a little bit.
2: Oh, but wow. We're
3: for, but we're looking for the pronoun I. You know, if a person is going to tell us what they did, uh, they have to use the pronoun I to be committed to that statement. So if a person said, you know, woke up, fixed breakfast, read the newspaper, drove to work, well, they didn't tell us who did all that. And you know, we don't assume they're talking about themselves. Right. We, we believe what people tell us, but we don't add to the statement. So what we're looking for is for them to say, if I woke up or I fixed breakfast we know they're committed to that
0: state now what about um when people say and i always listen to this uh and and anybody could be asking this question when people are asked how they feel about a certain situation they'll go well you know when that happens you feel uh like ashamed or something like that like so so when people start pushing it out from them by saying you and i in my mind that's generalizing it a little bit but what what are you getting off that
2: Oh Yeah, again, it's the, it's the missing
3: I when they use the pronoun you. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I just recently look at a statement that's that's what the person said a lot you do this, you do that. Well, no, I don't do that, you know, but they didn't say I didn't do it or I did right. this, and that's what you'll see. I, I was watching uh 48 hours just a little while ago, uh, down in Georgia, uh-huh. there was a case of. Uh, um, what was the guy's name? Scott Davis was on trial for killing David Coffin. And 48 hours filmed the trial. And the trial concluded with Scott Davis being convicted of killing David Coffin, sent to prison. Uh-huh. Davis knew this could be shown on national television. I'm a convicted murderer. So he wrote a letter for 48 hours from the jail cell. Oh. And in the letter he wrote, I can't explain in words the probable film being sentenced to life in prison for a crime you did not commit mm-hmm oh he didn't write for a crime i did not he wrote for a crime you did not commit.
2: oh right.
0: wow
3: you and i didn't commit that crime but he couldn't say for a crime i did not commit he couldn't personalize it. of course a jury based on the evidence he was guilty but his language also indicates you know that he's guilty
0: oh man so um, I, I now are are you um do you watch 48 hours a lot or is that, uh, normal, is it just something someone told you to look for? Like how, how do you, um, I mean, cause, cause you're not really like, you're a trainer now. Right. And, and, um, maybe aren't in the trenches as much as you were at, at one point. Like, um, how, how are you finding your, um, things to, uh, refer to?
3: <laughs> well, anything, anytime there's of national interest in the news, mm-hmm. I'll take a look at it. Uh, see if I can, you know, if there's any deceptive statements in there. But I'm always got my D V D V R going, recording, you know, sixty minutes of 2020 and twenty twenty and deadline different shows out there now. Investigation Discovery has a lot of them, mm-hmm. and so I'll watch these true crime shows. And most of the time, you know, people are okay or there's no deception. But every once in a while, I'll see deceptive indicators, and I can use those examples in my in my class.
0: <laughs> no um let's talk about your classes a little bit um who uh because it looks like you're all over the country all the time are you are you teaching mostly virtual now or are they getting back to in person what's going on
3: uh last year was virtual but this year starting in april i went back on the road again and so far every month uh since april i've been teaching several classes and uh, we haven't even had to wear a mask yet. I'm, I'm afraid that's going to start to come back this fall, maybe. But, yeah, they've all been in-person classes, which I would much rather do. because they're eight-hour classes, a one-day class. And I train. Most of my classes are open to anybody who wants to attend. Uh-huh. Uh, most of the time, I get a police department to host it, but it's still open to any interviewers. Uh, but my biggest audience, obviously, is law enforcement, since that's with my background.
0: Oh, yeah. So, um. Are, in your classes, are you mostly doing video review? Or are you doing like group exercises? How do you, how do you, what's the best way to get people to learn this?
3: Well, the class is the best way. It's more uh, informative. It's more hands-on. Um, I give everybody a workbook. And so, you know, I, we go through the techniques, but then I also have statements in there that I give them time to analyze it. Uh-huh. Uh, I show them how to mark up a written statement. We want to underline certain words, circle certain words. I let them mark it up, and then we go through it to make sure they understand, you know, what's going on here, what to look for,
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, and then we have, uh, you know, I have a few quizzes I put in there, but lots of videos. I show lots of videos of people, you know, giving deceptive statements, and so I let I, we show the video see if they can pick up on the deception. Oh wow! Uh, yeah.
0: Now, what do you think of um, what do you think of O.J. Simpson?
3: <laughs> O.J. just Uh last week I think it was, uh, or maybe it was this week, came out with a statement. I think I will paraphrase, I think the quote was talking about who, you know, killed his wife, Ron Goldman. He said, I I really don't know. But he used the word really, that's what caught my attention. Don't Uh need the word really. It's a word that indicates possible deception. It's like saying, I swear to God or honest to God, you know, people add these extra words to try to convince us they're being truthful. But yeah, he used the word really talking about the his knowledge of who committed this uh killed his wife but now if you look at his statements uh it's pretty clear he he did it
0: oh i uh, think so yeah
3: he wrote a book saying you know if i did it just, if
0: uh, I that is ridiculous and i don't think the book ever got released but who would write a book that said if i did it <laughs> really is that how is that how we're doing things now um well i i did a little bit of statement of an analysis um in in some of my training from some of his um some of his transcripts and things like that but the body language also matches up to uh, quite a bit of deception there so um uh pretty interesting um situation that he did not end up doing jail time for that
3: yeah and that's what you'll find is that the body language and the uh, verbal language will match up if oh the yeah body language indicates are being deceptive the language indicated as well and vice versa they
0: mm-hmm. go hand in yeah, so um, what else do we need to be listening for out there?
3: Well, like I said, with pronouns, um, sometimes we can, because they give us responsibility, people sometimes unknowingly take responsibility.
2: See,
3: mm-hmm. with the pronouns. So we sometimes can detect confessions by looking at the pronouns. Say, oh, really? Uh, and you, you mentioned OJ in uh, the slow speed Bronco chase. Uh, OJ was suicidal. Uh, Al Cowings told Detective. Lang on the cell phone. OJ's in the backseat. He's got a gun. Uh, so eventually, Detective Lang talks to OJ and he's telling him to throw it out the window. That's number one concern. Throw it out the window. And OJ says to him, the Detective Lang, just kind of you guys away from me. This is for me. Meaning, I'm not going to shoot the police. I'm going to
2: shoot myself.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, Detective Lang again, throw it out the window. Throw it out the window. Then OJ says, I'm the only one that deserves it. Meaning, a you know, bull.
2: Mm-hmm. I
3: ex-wife so he deserve to be executed
2: but oh wow, wow. Mm-hmm. he's
3: the only one that deserves it. and we'll see that not a lot but it happens quite a bit where you know the, the pronouns uh, give it away
0: oh wow now oh. How, how did you do these studies i mean obviously you have a lot of people to interview right when you're at the, the marshals but it, was it more informal was it for, like tell me about that
3: well when i was at the academy I would, uh, one, I would do some studies with our students. A typical martial service class has 48 students in it from time to time. I'd have half the class write me a statement that's completely truthful. The other 24 had to write statements completely false. And the page of those statements were recorded and were coded so I know who's being truthful, who's being deceptive.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And when I looked at those statements, I found that people tell the truth in the same way and people be deceptive in a similar fashion. And as the years went by, I no longer had to rely on those codes, but I could just read that statement and determine if that person was telling the truth or, or making the story. But
2: mm-hmm.
3: so another group I watched is uh, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, which is where the Marshall Service Academy is located at. Uh, has a group called Role Players Incorporated. And they use role players to play various roles in the scenarios that the students must complete. That makes for realistic training. Instead mm-hmm. of me, the instructor going to the house, when the student's knock on the door, I answer, pretend I'm the homeowner. Now, when he knocks on the door, it's answered by somebody they've never seen before. And these role players had a variety of roles to play. And we would tell them, this scenario answers the student's questions truthfully. They ask for the information, give it to them. But a lot of times, we would tell them lie to the students. Don't let the students know that your boyfriend, the fugitive, is hiding in the closet.
2: Uh-huh. Uh,
3: but the key is, we did not tell them how to lie. That oh. wasn't scripted out. Uh-huh. For nine years, I watched over 100 role players in a variety of scenarios. I found that they, too, would be deceptive in the same way.
0: Oh, really? Even people trying to act?
3: Even even though we were paying them to lie, they usually still wouldn't lie. They, you know, they would, you know, lie in a deceptive way. They wouldn't oh, just come wow. out and say no, or, you know, they'd use the word never instead of no or something like that. Even mm-hmm. though we didn't tell them to do it, they would still do it.
0: Now, how did you think to even start this field
3: of study well when they um asked me if i wanted to teach interviewing techniques when i got to the academy i said yes and they said we're going to send you to a couple classes on linguistic analysis mm-hmm. um, so you know it can be a little bit better prepared what to present to them and as i it, i just thought man this is fascinating stuff and they didn't realize how much you could learn if you just pay attention to what yeah. a person is saying and so that got me more interested in to do the studies while i was there After I left the academy, I continued to do studies. I'd just hire people, you know, get 100 people to write me a statement about something. Or if I'm looking for a certain area, does this indicate deception? I would kind of say, like, all right, write me a statement about uh, being robbed.
2: Mm -hmm. And
3: some people write about home invasion. Some people write about being bugged walking through their car in a parking lot. Mm
2: -hmm. But it had to
3: be 100% truthful or in some cases, you know, 100% true. But I would continue to look at studies like that these statements to see, you know, are, are we seeing something that's consistent, deceptive or truthful language?
0: Oh, wow. So how many, I mean, we, was this like a, I mean, you were in, you were in for a long time. Was this like a 30 year kind of passion study or was, was it more finite? What, how, how did that come together?
3: Well, I started teaching, uh, the, the statement outside needs at the Academy in 91. Uh, mm mm-hmm. And I've been teaching ever since, even when I left the academy, um, I would still go out and teach. I couldn't get paid for it, but somebody would just pay for my travel expenses. The master's let me go teach at a conference or Uh or something like that. And then once I retired, I decided I'm going to teach it full time and and not just speak at conferences, which I still do, but also conduct one day training classes.
2: Mm. Uh,
3: But I continued even today. I mean, I haven't done a study, well, I'm looking at a study right now on, uh, contraction, uh, deceptive people sometimes will not use a contraction. I mean, contractions, yeah. They,
0: they, uh, yeah, they, they won't use contractions. Yeah. I saw yeah, that I mean, in, um, John Bonnet Ramsey. Yeah. Interview well, know, the
3: sometimes they will, but what we're looking for more so probably with a written statement, easier to pick up on, we have a written statement and we have no contraction, but yet plenty of opportunity to use a contraction mm-hmm. because that, you know, using not using contracts is a more formal way of speaking.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so deceptive people trying to convince you that telling you the truth may speak a little bit more formally. Mm-hmm. You know, I did not have sex with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. You know, the same
0: <laughs> well, also in that, in that he says that woman. So he pushes her away again. He's separating her and he's right. and he's speaking to he, he does a pretty good job speaking to the beat um and do you get anything off of that true truth versus um deception when people are kind of more rhythmic and metered that way
3: well like i said he was being a little bit more formal Mm -hmm. pronouncing every single word perhaps in an effort to convince us he's you know he's he's being truthful you know as you point out he said that woman that indicates distance this indicates closeness Mm -hmm. and so in that case that's appropriate trying to distance himself you know from her but I think the key there was he said to not have uh sexual relations. I think he used the word relationship or relation, and most people view that as an ongoing thing and not a, not necessarily a fling. So I think that sexual was sexual relations, there. Right. yeah. <laughs> that was the key there. He, he didn't have sexual relations, but he had a fling, I guess.
0: Yeah, I guess. Oh my gosh. So um tell us what it's like to work in the White House.
3: Well, President Reagan was uh, very personable. If he came walking by and you were standing post, he would always acknowledge you. Uh huh. Um, got to see a lot of dignitaries because of state dinners. Got to see the mo- a lot of movie stars because of Reagan's Hollywood connection. But I got to see a lot of other interesting people, too, because the White House is like a giant magnet that attracts nuts.
0: Uh, nuts? Oh, yeah. like who?
3: <laughs> and people, people would jump the fence and run up to the House and we would challenge them and They'd always say the same thing. Usually was, I'm God I'm here to see the president. Oh, really? I don't think God needs to jump the fence to see the president.
0: (laughs) Now, what about when uh, Reagan got shot? What was, were you around for that?
3: No, that was in 81 and I came on in 83. Okay. Uh, But after he got shot, prior to that, the uniformed officers pretty much stayed at the White House. But after he got shot, then their mission changed a little bit and they traveled with him Mm -hmm. because prior to 91 i think if he spoke at an event nobody would get screened Mm -hmm. but after that now if he's going to go in a gymnasium and speak everybody gets screened going in Mm -hmm. you know after 81 so that that allowed us to travel more you know with him
0: Mm -hmm. now did you like to travel or was it um was it just an amazing uh, hassle or what's like what's it really like
3: well, I like to travel because my days off and those was like Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So uh-huh. my wife was working, so I might as well go ahead and travel with them and make make some overtime. But, but it was interesting. It was amazing what in the name of the president, you know, you could do. Um, like spoke, <laughs> well, like he spoke uh, in Fairbanks, Alaska, uh-huh. at the University of Alaska, and then the next day he went to the airport and met the Pope. So I got to see the the Pope at a distance, but. But anyways, uh, because the Sally Port is going to drive into it at the university
2: mm-hmm.
3: and then step out of the car and then walk into the uh, the school, because there's a dorm across the way. And technically you could, you know, see the president for just a split second, leaving the limo and going into the dorm, going yeah. into the mm-hmm. uh, the room. Uh, they had everybody clear that dorm. Nobody right. could be mm-hmm. in that, that dorm during that time period. And I thought, well, that's just. That's amazing.
0: Wow. So, was everybody just standing out on the street? I mean, Alaska's cold. You need somewhere <laughs> to go.
3: <laughs> this was in July, so it wasn't too bad.
0: Okay. All right. Oh, my goodness. So, what's the craziest story from your time just at, at the White House that you can tell? Because there's probably some you can't tell, I imagine.
3: Uh, craziest story uh, President Reagan. Would leave his window open a couple inches year round, even during the winter time. Oh, really? And his and there's a post that's near his window. It's not purposely there. It's just there's an outside post there that's close to the window. Mm-hmm. And so at night you had to silence your radio, put your earpiece in, you know, because he could hear radio chat. Or if the phone rang, you had to silence the phone. There's a phone there.
0: So, so when you say a post, you mean like a security. Uh, a place where either people check in or out of the White House or a place where just a uh, uh, officer standing.
3: Yeah, an officer standing.
0: Okay, got it, got it.
3: I just different positions post all around you know the White House.
0: Okay, okay.
3: But this one is outside near his window. so he had to silence everything. Well, I had a friend who you know was working. We came on at the same time, and he could do a pretty good Reagan imitation.
2: Uh-huh.
3: So whenever a rookie would come in, some new guy and he's standing at post and maybe we're, you know, down the, you know, 50 yards away, 100 yards away at another post, we'd get on the phone and call him or uh-huh. my friend. Would, and he would act like he's the president. <laughs> and he would say, can you keep it down? I can, you know, I can hear you. And, and of course, the rookie would be like, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. President, you know, uh-huh. and all this stuff. Kind of so a lot of practical jokes were played like that.
0: Oh wow! Now, what do you think about the Secret Service has a little bit of a bad rap these days? What What's your thought on that?
3: Um, they're still doing a very good job.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, you know, any, any any agency faces bad raps at different points in time, depending on what's going on. You always have some some bad apples here and there, but overall, they do a very good job at you know protecting the president.
0: Wow! So how how many incidents go on? at the white house or or even when you're traveling with a with someone super important that just aren't reported like i mean is it uh is it just is it pretty calm when you're out there or is it is it just like you're constantly battling things back
3: uh by by not report you mean not report in the press yeah yeah there's always some things going on that don't make it in the press Uh
2: uh-huh
3: uh, I remember one day I was uh, at the main post in the North Grounds. And those days, Pennsylvania Avenue was open. So right. there was traffic. And there was an entrance there that you could, you know, visitors could enter. Visitors, not tourists, but visitors coming to the White House. Uh-huh. But a taxi pulled up. A guy got out. He had a suit and coat on, looked like an agent.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Walks right up to the door. Doesn't come to the window, but walks right to the door and starts to reach for it and and the officer is about to buzz him in but he hesitated and the guy then pulled on the door and it was locked so they stepped in front of the window and the officer asked him can i help you and he said i'm here to see the president uh-huh and so we knew he wasn't an agent and and so he asked him do you have an appointment and he said no i do not but it eventually escalated to where this guy was beaten on the window Oh. I mean, uh- this, this is bulletproof glass he's not going to get through but so hot-headed he flew in. I think it was from Tennessee, took a taxi straight to the White House. He's here to see the president. Uh huh. So, he, of course, he did not see the president, but <laughs> he he was allowed to come in just for an interview because they're going to interview people like that to make sure they're not a threat
2: mm-hmm. you
3: know, catalog these type of people. But you have incidents like that that probably never show up in the press and so they don't get reported. There's no reason to report it. But Anybody who threatens the president is, you know, they're going to have a list of all those people to keep track of. Oh,
0: right. Now, would, would this guy, if he was still alive, would he be on some kind of watch list or how do, how do y'all handle that?
3: He would be on a watch list um, more so if the president's going to speak in his hometown or something like that and mm-hmm. they're going to, it's just like with sex offenders living in your neighborhood or something right. like that, there's yeah. going to be a list of, uh, of people we need to should we be concerned? Should we visit them? Should we watch them?
0: That whole nothing's thing that's
3: happened in 10 years. And I'm sure that they, they, they put them by the wayside. Then.
0: Yeah. Wow. So, um, are you happier now being a trainer or, or do you really, uh, you really kind of miss getting in the mix of things?
3: Yeah, well, I miss being, you know, the fugitive part, looking for fugitives. That's primarily what we did with the Marshall service. That was mm-hmm. always fun. So I miss that, but no, I enjoy my retirement and I, set my own schedule and like you mentioned pretty much every month I'm traveling somewhere uh, this weekend getting ready to go to um, near Nashville and then St. Louis up to Chicago and so I always make a vacation out of it as well
0: Wow. Oh, wow. That's what I do when I speak. I want to get in one of your classes. Now you also have, um, I'm going to see if I can make that happen. I'll show up one day, <laughs> whenever I You're show welcome. up in these, whenever I show up in these, they call me the private citizen and, um, and I'm the only one without a gun. So, <laughs> but, um, so how, how can people find you? How can they learn more? Cause you have some online classes too, don't you?
3: I do. I have uh, the same information I share. My one-day classes is also available. as Some on-demand training. Mm-hmm. You take it at your own pace. I give people 120 days to complete it. If they need more time, that, that's fine. Uh, but my website is statementanalysis.com.
0: Well, that's pretty easy. Um,
3: yep, pretty easy. Remember, statementanalysis.com. Just go to the website. You can see where I'm speaking. If I'm going to be anywhere near you know, where you live, or you can check out um, my on-demand training. But the one thing I want to look at is I have a famous cases page. Oh. Anything I see of national interest on the news, if I get a hold of a transcript, I will analyze it and post my analysis on that famous case page.
0: Oh, that's cool. Uh, I'm going to go There's there. probably Make
3: over 40 sure. cases on there right now.
0: Oh, that's super interesting. Most of
3: which people would recognize. And, and by reading my analysis, it just serves as a review if you've taken my training, but it also, you know, you can pick out some additional techniques. Oh, my things I point out, anything I see in that statement, I'm
0: going to point it out. Okay. Ooh, I love that. Ooh, now I have to do it. Uh, I have (laughs) to go there. I'm going to let you get back to your day. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us here today.
3: Well, thank you for having me on Tracy.
0: Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.